Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking again about the Kingdom of God. And we're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about layers. The Kingdom of God is a layers. There are higher in the Kingdom of God, and there are lower in the Kingdom of God. And we know this because Christ said so. He said that if you wanted to get higher in the Kingdom of God, you had to what? What were you supposed to be doing to get higher in the kingdom of God? We know also that he uh, said in uh, Matthew thirteen eleven, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. He was talking about why he spoke in parables. So should I tell you another parable, a story? Or should I tell you the mysteries of the kingdom of God? Well, I do a little bit of both here. I tell you a little bit about the mysteries. But I do it in a way that it takes you, takes some effort on your part to put those mysteries together. To figure out what those mysteries are really all about and how you connect them. And even if, even if you understood it a little bit, there's another layer to it. So I just put up a web page today. I sent it out to everybody on the Living Network. And when I say the Living Network, I'm just talking about the email groups. Everybody on those email groups all across the country and Australia and wherever will get a copy of that page, Network Layers. And it talks about uh, in the network, there's ministers of record who are the ministers for core groups, what we call core groups, congregations of recorded elders. The congregations of the church, the congregations of the church in general, are just free assemblies. The people waive no rights when they join these groups. They can still belong to other churches if they want to belong to a church. You want to really belong to Christ, not a church. They can do anything they want as far as what they do day to day, they, we don't require them to tithe. We don't require them to genuflect on the right knee. We don't require them to wear a certain kind of hat or suspenders. And we don't require them to grow long beards or to shave their beard or shave the corners of their beards. We don't require them to meet on a particular day. We just make a record of the fact that they want to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness by freely assembling. And they want to do this as a kingdom and not simply as some local congregation. So that starts with their choice. And they recognize a minister. And that minister will now be recognized by other people. And that's their assembly. That's their gathering point. That is their connection point, that minister. Now, what are they supposed to be doing? Well, they're supposed to be loving one another and all that, but they're going to have to figure out how to do that. We're, we have no doctrines in His Holy Church except for the doctrines of Christ. I mean, 
We got lots of ideas. We can talk about the doctrines of Jesus Christ, but we only got His doctrines because it's His church. You see, all these other churches, the Lutheran church and the Methodist church and the Catholic church, they all belong to somebody else. They don't belong to Christ. Some of those actually belong to the governments in which they live. I mean, think, think is it the Lutherans in Norway? That's the official church. There's official state churches in many countries. But you can still have, you know, my, my great-great-grandfather started a Baptist church in Norway, and it's still there in Oslo, and it's just sitting down there amongst all these big, huge buildings, and it's empty as can be. I don't know. There must be somebody, but my mom went back there, and she said, there was nobody around. She walked in there, but nobody was there because that's not the official state church, and there's just not too many of them. The problem is they're not really Christ church either. Now, the Baptists and Lutherans and everybody might have been seeking the kingdom of God at one time, but they think they found it in their church. And their churches aren't doing anything like the first century churches. They're not doing anything like what Christ said to do because they got all these doctrines of men that have organized them by their doctrines. And that's why there's 40,000 different denominations is because there's always these men trying to get you to sectarian you off into their little group. We even had that among some of our congregations where the the minister, he wasn't connecting with all the other ministers and we said, why aren't you doing this? And he says, well, I'm only connecting with them that I love. In other words, he, he wouldn't connect with the rest of the congregations. He's, uh, he's only going to do his little groupy thing. <laughs> his little congregation thing. Well, that's not what Christ was all about. We're supposed to love our enemy. Why are we excluding anybody from our free assemblies? Now, obviously, if they're coming in and trying to corrupt people and doing, you know, Paul gives us a big long list of people that are corrupting and, uh, you know, backbiting and causing trouble and, and all this stuff. Well, that's an individual call for the elders. The elders need to make those decisions and say, well, we don't, we don't really want a fellowship with this guy anymore. Because, you know, he comes drunk all the time and he won't sober up and he beats his wife. You know, we'll let his wife come here. But, you know, the guy, you know, he pushes people around. Well, okay, let's not fellowship with that guy. Whatever. But those are choices. The kingdom of God is about you making choices based upon... Christ living in your heart. It's not by following some doctrine or opinion or private interpretation of some pastor or preacher or demagogue. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about practicing pure religion. You know, if you if this country of the United States or Canada or any of these countries were actually had say 20% of the people in their country practicing pure religion, it would change the face of the nation. It would change the face of the whole world. But none of these... I don't know a country that actually promotes pure religion. I don't know a church that actually even knows what pure religion is. Other than us, I mean, it was like it's a secret. It must be one of those mysteries. But Jesus was made it really clear that the Corban of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. The problem is nobody knows what Corban is. 
Most people don't even know what religion is. So, how are they going to figure this the, the parables of Christ out, much less the mysteries of the kingdom? They think religion is what they think about God. And we've already proven over and over again in articles we just posted recently that religion is about the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And that duty to your fellow man is to take care of the needy of your society unspotted by the constitutional orders and systems of governments of the world. That's what those words mean. I'm not making it up. It's right in... In your everyday strong concordance, you can look up the meaning of those words. Your preachers could look them up, but you know what? They're not going to do it. Because if they started telling you the truth, their congregations would thin out like the congregations of Christ. You know, there were thousands of people coming to Christ, and then all of a sudden he told them what he really meant. Man, he could clear the Colosseum. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. That means we'd have to be responsible for ourselves. We would have to trust in God. We're not going to do that. We we want these benefits from men who exercise authority. We want these men who exercise authority to force our neighbor to contribute to our welfare. We want free education. We want free health care. Utah had this great idea that it was costing them so much for the homeless. They were getting expensive. You know, a lot of a lot of places are having trouble with the homeless. They've made it outlawed against sleeping in your car. You could get arrested for sleeping in the park. It used to be people would go to the park and lay down under a tree and the green grass and take a little nap. And now you can get arrested for that. You know, it used to have signs up that if you get drowsy, pull your car over and sleep. Now if you pull your car over and sleep because you got drowsy, you could be arrested why, it's against the law to sleep in your car. <laughs> I guess you're supposed to stay on the road until you fall asleep. No, they make these laws. They don't care about the fact that it doesn't make any sense, but they don't want them homeless hanging around their town. A $500 fine for a guy who can't afford an apartment. What's he going to do? He could get his car impounded. Now he won't have any place to sleep. He'll go to the park and then he'll get arrested for sleeping in the park. These heinous criminals, these homeless people, well, they're getting everywhere because of why? Because of a lot of other choices you made that aren't Christian choices. They're not even Jewish choices. If you go back to Jews as followers of Moses, Moses wouldn't have anything to do with what most of the Jews do today. I mean, even in Israel, they Moses would be just, they break every rule in the book. They're not supposed to have unjust weights and measures in their purse. They got iron coin just like everybody else. What are they thinking? There's other uh, things that they do also. I mean, they, they oppress the people in their midst. They draft people. When the king, when when David drafted people, he realized he sinned against God and man. But now the government of Israel drafts people. So does the United States. So does a lot of other countries. I mean, from time to time they draft. Heck, my my great-grandfather came over from Norway to evade the draft in Norway. Well, it was a sin to draft people, according to what the Bible says. But all you modern Christians, that's okay. You know, it's for the government. 
But, of course, they get a right to draft you because you're already eating at the table of the king or president or prime minister or whatever government you're in. What do they mean by eating at the table? It says if you're going to eat, sit and eat with a ruler, somebody who can exercise authority one over the other, you're supposed to put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. You don't do that. you got so many benefits coming out of your ear. I mean, when you send your kids to public school, you're eating at their table. You said, well, I paid in. Well, of course you paid in. You signed up. But it doesn't make it right. It's still wrong. It's still considered a sin because you don't pay in enough to pay for one child's education, chances are. And chances are you got more children that are you're educating. At the expense of who? The government? No. Government doesn't put any money into that. Your neighbor has to put in. The government's just there to force your neighbor to put into it. That's called coveting your neighbor's goods. Yeah, you join that system. You want to be free, you need to start joining Christ systems. Christ system is based on you pay your way. <laughs> like like all the Sabbath keepers. If you're in debt, you're not keeping the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath says you got to work six days and then take your day of rest. If you've gone and borrowed money so that you can rest, then you're not keeping the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's not a day, it's a way. So anyway, homeless people. So what did Utah do? They calculated it up that it was costing them $16,670 no, $16, per homeless person because they had to they were constantly ending up in the emergency room and or they'd have to arrest them, you know, for heinous crime of sleeping in the park or or panhandling or whatever it is, you know. They would arrest them and they had to put them in jail and then they have to go to court and it's just sixteen thousand dollars a year it was costing them. They said, Well, you know, it'd be cheaper if we just got these guys an apartment And so they did. And the free housing. They get free housing and put them in an apartment. And cool. You know, it's going to cost us 11000 bucks, And we can even supply a social worker to help them get on their feet. Of course, a lot of them don't get on their feet. Some of them won't even go into the apartments. What's, what's with that? I'll tell you a story about that later on. But anyway, uh, so so they've reduced the number of homeless people by 78% because they've given them these houses. Well, the interesting thing about this little article that I, I stumble on, and I'm writing an article on that article, <laughs> and everything that I noticed, I posted something on, uh, it was a blog, and I posted something where I read the article, and I noticed that everybody that was also posting stuff was thinking, great, we admire this, we applaud this, they think it's really great. Are they crazy? Well, yeah, they're crazy. They're insane. They don't know what they're talking about. They think this is great. The government's providing them with houses. The government's not providing them with squat. The government is taking away from somebody else. You know, it's it's like slavery. And, you know, I actually even quoted... What I wrote in the blog was, this is a very bad idea for the government to give homes or apartments away for free to the poor because of at least two, what should be 
obvious reasons. One is, any government powerful enough to give the people all that they want is also powerful enough to take away from the people all that they have. Now, a lot of people think Thomas Jefferson said something like that, and he didn't, but at least we can't find anywhere where it was recorded that he said that. But he may have said that, and I, I don't know that he wouldn't agree with it. But the fact is, that's pretty obvious. You know, that's just basic. If they got the power, and this, see, this is all they're doing. They're not, they're not reaching into their pockets. They're reaching into your pockets and providing that apartment. You see, so it's not charity. You may think it's nice, but it's not charity. Charity requires a free will offering. If it's not a free will offering, it's just redistribution of wealth to the agencies of power and control. It's not charity. So the, the, the nation is robbed of charity because the nation doesn't take care of it. And I'll talk about a guy who wouldn't go into one of these apartments. He just passed away just recently. But anyway, the second reason, and I quote Abraham Lincoln here in a speech that he gave in Edwardsville, Illinois, back in 1858. Accustomed to trampling on the rights of others, you have lost the genius of your own independence and become the fit subjects of the first cunning tyrant who rises amongst you. Now, some would think that was Abraham Lincoln. But the point is, is that's absolutely true what he said. I don't know if he's warning them or what, but that's absolutely true. Because you are accustomed to taking away from other people, you will be taken away from As What you reap, you will sow. That's the way it goes. The needy of your society used to be taken care of by charity. That's not charity. When you provide for some of society by taking away from other groups or individuals within society, no one will be free. No one will be safe. The poor will be weakened along with the whole of society because you need to practice charity in order to strengthen the virtue in you. And without virtue, there is no freedom. My goodness. So how are you going to do this? How are you going to establish the kingdom of God? How are you going to look for the kingdom of God and His righteousness if you don't understand even the basic fundamentals that you're not supposed to be taking away from your neighbor and forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare or anybody else's welfare? And if you give anybody the power to do that, you've given them the power to take away from you. And they should. Tell me how that's working out for you. Lincoln, in the same speech, went on to say, the difference between the Republican and Democratic parties on the leading issues of this contest, as I understand it, is that the former considers slavery a moral, social, and political wrong, while the latter do not consider it either moral, a social or a political wrong. And the action of each as respect to the growth of the country and the expansion of your populations or our population is squared to meet these views. He could see the division coming. The reality is that division is still here today. It's not really divided Republican Democrat because most Republicans are have the same idea. That slavery is okay. You don't think so. I'll show you how when we get back after a break. But 
the fact is the Republican Democrats are in agreement. And the Democrats are in, in agreement with Adolf Hitler and the Nazis because the Nazis were the Democratic Socialist Party. So the Republicans are in agreement with the Nazis. The only difference between the two is maybe the rapidity or the degree at which they want to enslave the whole world. They don't want to quite do the whole world for them. But they don't mind enslaving other people. And I'll show you that from Republican to Democratic parties, that philosophy is really the core of those parties. And I'm I'm not going to get into libertarians and constitutionalists, all this. I'm apolitical. I don't think there's a political solution. I think there's a people solution. I think you have to get back to the moral and social people's responsibility on an individual basis. You have to form a different form of government. Really, what the early America used to depend upon, which was the republic, which had nothing to do with Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. and and the United States government and the Constitution created a democracy within the republic. And most people were not citizens of it. They were citizens of their local state. But all that kind of morphed and changed, and we write whole books about that that you can download for free on the Internet. But the reality is, if you want change, you have to be the change you want to be. You have to stop coveting your neighbor's goods. That means you're going to have to come together in order to help one another. And like I said, when in the second half of the show, I'll tell you a story about a homeless person who would not take the free apartment. He wouldn't. He just wouldn't go that way. He was evidently an ex-teacher and ended up homeless on the street and had some issues. But uh, he was a nice guy, kind guy. Everybody liked him. And he recently died on the streets where he lived. And it was interesting that he actually wouldn't take money from other people, uh, except in small amounts and always asking them if they could afford it before they gave him any money. And he didn't do it for nothing. He actually went in the the blocks where he lived. He swept the streets out in front of all the businesses. He had some serious problems living on the street, some cleanliness problems and things like that. But he was a nice guy. He was a gentle guy. And he just recently died on the streets. But he wouldn't take the government handouts. Why was that? Well, what was keeping him from doing that? I'd, I'd go and ask him, but he's dead now. But I'll give you my thoughts on why when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this guy, this homeless guy. And we know a lot of homeless people in a lot of different parts of the country. If you want to do something about it, join the Living Network and start what we call a core group in your own area. Now, that's not our total focus of dealing with the homeless, but there's injustice in the world, and that has to be a concern because one of the big problems with the... Pharisees was they were not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And the way they should have been doing that is the way that 
the early church dealt with it is they gathered together in congregations and they actually cared about one another and justice and injustice and and they formed a network that there was an actual hue and cry when there was something awry. They came together and they did something about it. What they did about it was often based on the character of Christ, but they did something about it. And anyway, we're talking about this guy, Barry, and actually his name is Barry LeBlanc, and this Barry lived in San Francisco. And he was homeless, and they figured he was in his 60s, at least. He could have been older, and they believed that he had been a teacher at one time. And things fell apart for him, and he ended up on the street, and he just learned to live on the street. But when he was asked by people, can I give you some money? He would always ask, can you afford it? He didn't want to take money from somebody who couldn't afford it. People thought this was kind of a joke, but he he actually meant it. And sometimes if they started taking out too much money, he says, no, I only need a few dollars. He lived on the streets. And San Francisco gets cold at times, but that's the way he was. Now, he was approached many times by what they call homeless outreach teams who regularly visited Barry. And they were repeatedly offered to get him off the street, get him housing, get him health care, get him food and support. And I'm sure they were subsidized by the government. And maybe even they were government teams. I don't know. The article didn't go into that. But Barry rejected that assistance. And one of the reasons I think he rejected that is because of this way he always asks, can you afford it? as he knew that these homeless teams were not coming with their money to help him. They were coming with money that was taken away from other people that might not have been able to afford it. You see, when you you take money by force through taxation or whatever, sometimes you put burdens on families and it breaks down families and it destroys families and people commit suicide and And it's just not right. It is not a free nation when they force you to contribute to the needy. You need to learn to contribute to the needy in a righteous way. Because you choose to. If you don't, your society will not be strengthened. Your society will be weakened, like Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They didn't do that because the poor were taken care of by the government. The only way to strengthen the poor is when it's free will offerings, where people actually come and try to help you out and take care of you. Evidently, uh, Barry knew he was about to die. And he let people, all of a sudden his health just went downhill and he died. And it was rapid. And a lot of people were saddened by it. And evidently he was a fairly decent artist. He drew a lot and even painted some. And uh, they have pictures up on display down there on the streets where he lives now. People all knew him. They actually liked him. I haven't heard anything bad about him. But in the article they said that Barry was not a danger to others, but maybe he was to himself. And... They said that's supposed to be enough to warrant more forceful intervention. At least 
according to some people's opinion of government. But in a society that prides itself on protecting the rights of the individual, using force is an extraordinarily difficult case to make, to force Barry to take these benefits. You know, that's actually kind of ridiculous. Because the, if the government's helping Barry, it's doing it by force already, whether Barry was willingly receives the benefit or not. Because what it's offering, it took away from its neighbor. It took away from the other people by force. I mean, they carry guns when they ask for contributions. And they call it a contribution, but they can force it. But that's the deal. That's that's the deal everybody signed up for so that they could get free education, free health care and everything. You signed up and now they get to force you to contribute. Now, you, I know when you signed up, you thought, you know, we'll all have one purse and, and we'll lurk privately for the blood of the innocent, but uh, so that we will have great amount of benefits, which is what Proverbs is talking about when it talks about having one purse. You can go look it up yourself. It's talking about a social welfare scheme where they, the government can force you to contribute. This is what the Pharisees had set up with Herod, which is why Jesus said, Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. I repeat this all the time. I work it into every story I tell you. But Christ worked it in too. But you've been listening to these parables and you haven't been figuring out the mysteries of the kingdom. Why? Because they changed the meaning of words. And we've got a whole series of articles coming out showing you how they changed the meaning of words. Religion went from how you performed your duty to God and your fellow man, how you took care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. That's what religion was. What you did as a doer of the word, which was to love thy neighbor as thyself. But you changed it to what you think about God, you know your opinion of God. That God is this. I think the Jehovah Witnesses deal where Jesus didn't die on a cross. He died on a stake because the word in the, the Greek is steros. And like, so? <laughs> Who cares? The fact is, is both are true. He died on a cross on a steros because the cross was the cross piece lifted up on the top of a steros, which he was nailed to on the ground. The, the cross piece he was nailed to. That's how he, that's what he was carrying. Everybody got this picture of this, looks like a sawn hewn beam is supposedly the cross. But that's not the way they made it. They just put up a scaffolding. You came out with one cross piece tied to your wrists with leather thongs that were drying so that you couldn't untie the knots. And then you were hoisted up. That piece of cross piece was hoisted up and you were nailed in to the pole by your feet. That's how they crucified. That's the way they did it. They didn't They didn't have these mortise and tenon crosses and then you go and then you nail the guy to it on his hands and then you try to lift the whole thing up and drop it into a hole they could do that but that's a lot of work that was not a good way to do it <laughs> go try it sometime most of you couldn't lift up a 12 foot beam and drop it in a hole 
And that's just, it's just common sense. But here they are arguing over that. But meantime, they go to men who exercise authority one over the other and pray to them for benefits at the expense of their neighbor. And that's okay. (laughs) Somebody's missed something. That is ridiculous. But anyway, Barry wouldn't take from these do-gooders who aren't doing good but are weakening the poor and weakening society because they're offering Barry stuff they took away from somebody else. He would take stuff from people who took it out of their own pockets. But he wouldn't take stuff from people who took it out of somebody else's pocket. And all those people that talked on that blog thought this was great that the government is supplying this free housing. So I get to go watch the game because I don't have to do anything because the government's doing it for me. But the government's doing a lot of other things for you too, which is why, you know, a loaf of bread costs three, four dollars now because the government is decreasing the value of your money because of quantum easy which isn't really the government at all, but it's some corporation, the government. You should have been making your own money. (laughs) That's right. We can tell you how to do that. But that's, in a free society, the money that is in circulation, which isn't really money, what we call commodity money, which is kind of an oxymoron. We've got articles that will explain that, but the point is, is that if you're a silver miner, a silversmith, you make silver coins. You stamp on it weight and measure, not value. Value is determined by the people. In a free society, that's the only way to have free money. Or what you, you call money is that the people make it. You know that all the banknotes you see supposedly in the old movies, of course, they, they're movies about, you know, 1800s. But all those banknotes were actually made by individual banks. They made the note. They were just notes that you take this note to that bank and they'll give you real money, you know, cash. Cash in those days was not paper money. It was gold or silver or copper or whatever. And yes, the United States government can mint coin, but anybody could mint coin. We wouldn't use the word coin, though. If you were a silver miner, you could make little rounds and stamp on them their weight and the purity of their silver. And you could stamp them and stamp them and stamp them and stamp them. And people could use them as if they were coins. They weren't coins because nobody stamped a value on it. It was just just weights and measures. And that's what the Bible tells you you're supposed to have. But you don't even you don't even get that. And so everything you have is losing value. All the all the money you have is losing value. And there's going to come a day where it's going to cost you, you know, $100 to buy a loaf of bread. And there will even come a day. And here, I'll give you a prophecy. There'll come a day where it'll take 10 pounds of gold to buy 100 pounds of grain. Because all the gold in China will is not enough to buy the last bowl of rice in China. That's an old saying. Because you can't eat gold. And when food gets scarce enough, 
you can't even you can't even buy food with gold and that that day is going to come upon America eventually I'm not going to tell you when I, I couldn't tell you exactly when anyway I'm not I'm not a time guy with prophecy but I can tell you that that's where you're headed and that's where you're going because you're not going in the ways of Christ you're not doing what Christ said you, there should be homeless shelters there should be health care there should be educational assistance all these things but it should all be done by charity and that's what the church used to do you know if I go back up this article that I'm writing on this this free housing idea I say actually there is a little difference between these two parties Democrat and Republican and like I say I'm apolitical I don't really care about any of that I'm just pointing out what Lincoln was saying about them way back then. Except that the only difference is really the rate at which they will diminish your liberty. One will do it a little faster than the other. But they're both going in the same direction because the people are going in the same direction. The truth is both sides now wish to enslave the people in to one degree or another. In the slave states, we see men that forced some people to work for less than what the value of their labor was or for little or no compensation so that they could sit in their homes comfortably without working. This is the picture that we have of of slavery. Although if you came upon George Washington, which many times people going out to visit George Washington, they they would remark at the fact that he would be not sitting up on his white horse, riding around in the field, watching his slaves hoe the corn. He was actually in the corn with them, hoeing right alongside of them. The president of the United States, while he was president, that's, that's the kind of guy he was. But of course, the president back then had none of the powers you see the presidents today have. And this has gone on in all the other countries as well. Anyway, it says today thousands still are forced to labor where a portion of their productive power is taken from them without compensation so that others may sit comfortably in their apartments or houses without working. We call it welfare. (laughs) That's right. And it's paid for by all the middle class who has to pay in now. This is destroying society. It makes people hold contempt of the poor. And it takes us off the hook of making those day-to-day decisions as to who to help and who not to help. And there's no governing agent of virtue or morality because the bureaucrats, they don't base what they do on morality. They base it on their book, not the good book. Not righteousness, but what it says in the book. And they don't even do that well. And I gave as an example, I know two people who both worked at the same place, left that job to start a business for themselves. Actually, one of them kind of had to leave it because of the fact that he was losing his home anyway. And uh, they started this other work, but the work is somewhat seasonal, so there's a couple of months where they don't have hardly any work, so they tried to collect unemployment. One got it easily, $500 a week. 
and the one who had paid into unemployment the longest a diff- went to a different office and they refused him. Same exact condition in both cases. Now, he paid in for years and years and years and years. He's trying to start this other business, but there's a seasonal issue to it, so he can't work in the middle of January and February because that business isn't open then. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't give him unemployment. I don't know what the rules are, but it should have been the same for both. And that's the point, is that their order is chaos. And I can show you a hundred places where that's true. But anyway, instead of calling the modern forced labor without pay or without just compensation slavery, we can call it by the French term corvée. Most people aren't familiar with corvée. But I'll quote to you, out of The History of Slavery by Susan Everett, which is kind of an interesting uh, book if you want to read something. But anyway, it says, Slaves never became an important ingredient in Egyptian civilization. Well, wait a minute, weren't all the Israelites slaves? Weren't, weren't the, all the people in bondage in Egypt? But they weren't slaves because they signed up in Egypt. Remember, they ran out of their own provisions and they had to sign up, kind of like what you guys did during the Depression, you know, in the 1930s. You all signed up. You didn't have provisions for yourself, so you went and signed up so that the government would provide you with provisions. Well, you don't understand. You never read the Social Security Act, did you? Did you ever read the book written by the guy who devised and invented the act? Did you ever read his book? Why don't you go read our book, The Covenants of the Gods? You can get that free online. Read chapter 4. But anyway, slaves were never became important in the ingredient in the Egyptian civilization, she writes. The large subject population and enforceable corvée system by which serfs had to work temporarily as slaves, made a permanent force of slaves unnecessary. Because they were all slaves. They were subject serfs. That's you! In the United States, in Australia, in Canada, in China, everywhere. You're all members of a corvey system of statutory labor. When they mention this in the Old Testament, they call it tribute. Where you have to give a portion of your labor to the king or pharaoh or parliament or whoever, czar or whatever, a portion of your labor because you belong to them. You don't have 100% of your right to work anymore. Now, in Egypt, they could only take one-fifth. There was a ceiling limit. And that's the way it was all the way up at least until Mubarak was replaced. They they could only tax you 20%. Whether you made a million dollars or a hundred dollars. They could only tax you 20%. But you didn't have Joseph make the deal for most of these other countries because I know in Australia it can be over 50%. And at different times it's even more in other countries. But that's because you're a member of a Corby system of statutory labor and you're a member of that because you signed up for it when you went and got your social security number. Because you wanted your benefits. Now, 
You can't get a driver's license, a marriage license, a business license, a bank account, a credit card, a debit card. Uh, you can't get any ID whatsoever, any national ID, unless you give them that social security number. You got to have that number. You can't get that ID. And if you get your ID in Montana, like your state driver's license, they're not in compliance with those rules. And so Homeland Security came out the other day and said they're not going to recognize Montana driver's license as sufficient ID to get on airplanes, on flights regulated by the federal government. And you don't think you got the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast, the mark, the karagma of the beast in the, in the Greek? It means the badge of servitude. Your membership in the core V of statutory slavery. That that's you. You didn't know that when you you didn't read the the act for other purposes. You know H- Henry George wrote in the book Social Problems. I think it was in chapter four. He said, "The man who gives me employment, which I must have or suffer, that man is my master. Let me call him what I will." Well, that's exactly it. And they set taskmasters over them. And that's called somebody with an employer identification number. That's the system. I'm not saying to rebel against the system. I'm saying follow Christ. Do what Christ said. You know, Lincoln in that same speech wrote, This government was instituted to secure the blessings of freedom and that slavery is an unqualified evil to the Negro, to the white man, and to the soil, and to the state. But that's what you have. Because you're all slaves now. You don't want to call it slaves. We call it Corvi because it sounds bad. Actually, you know what we call it? We call it employee. <laughs> if you look up the word employee in Clark's summary of U.S. American law, it will tell you to see master-slave. Because the employee-employer relationships fall under master-slave. Yeah, go read the book, The Covenants of the Gods, free online at hisholychurch.org. And read chapter 4, Employee versus Enslaved. And then join the Living Network. And we'll tell you more about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. See you next time on Keys to the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.
Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And we just finished a series, a ten-part series, on social paths. And we talked about everything from epigenetics to meditation to, finally, the homeless and what you can do about it and what the governments of the world are doing about it, which is taking money away from some people that can barely meet their apartment payments so that they can give apartments to people who are not working. And it's kind of the bottom rail on top. That was a that was a line from a slave who had uh, escaped his master in the south and gone north. And eventually when the Civil War broke out, he was working for the Union Army. And they had captured a bunch of troops, Confederate troops, I won't call them rebel troops. And they were loading them onto uh, barges on the Mississippi, and one of them, one of the officers coming on board, saw this former slave of his. And he was there, part of the crew on board this barge, and this guy was coming on as a prisoner. And when their eyes met, the black man said to him, or at least the way this is the way it was reported, that bottom rail on top. In other words, the the master is now the prisoner. And the slave was not necessarily the master, but at least he was in charge of bringing the prisoners on board this boat and moving them to a place where thousands of them died from ill treatment and poor provisions. But the reality is, is that I'm not in favor of slavery at all. I'm not in favor of servitude at all. I think that uh, Americans would have been wiser if they'd done away with slavery more in line with uh, Great Britain than having the war, but uh, that seems to be in our nature. And done away with slavery, you know, most people don't know how Great Britain did it, but they literally bought all the slaves and set them free. And of course, the same, even with that system, you would have ended up with the same problem. Horace Greeley talked about it. It's not so much that we free freed the, I think he used the word Negro at the time, uh, but we brought all people down to the same level of bondage, which is really what the Civil War was all about, was about individual rights and state rights, and that they were now going to be more and more regulated by the federal government. Now, it took another hundred years to really bring that about, and the only way to really bring it about is through contract. Contract makes the law. You can't just arbitrarily say, I'm going to take away, you know, 20% of your labor. You've got to have an agreement. We see that in the Bible. Like I said in the last show that we did in that series, Egypt, the people were in bondage in this system of core V or statutory bondage where they now owed a portion of their labor, which you call tribute. And the slothful shall be under tribute, it says. It's not a good thing to be under tribute. But you were going to be under tribute because you didn't provide your own provisions. Why didn't you? Because you were all moving in the direction of selfishness, which is not in the direction of the kingdom of God. 
You're not moving according to the name of Christ. Christ is the epitome of unselfishness. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve others. And if you don't gather in your congregation for the same purpose, then you're not gathering in the name of Christ. Period. That's it. You're, I don't care what you call your church. I don't know, care how much you tell me you love Jesus. If you're not coming together for the purposes of fulfilling your duty to God and your fellow man, then you're not coming together or in the name of Christ or in pure religion or anything. And all the singing you do and jumping around and what it, hand waving and, and bowing and weeping, you might as well be weeping and gnashing of teeth because God's not going to hear you. He said that over and over again in the rule book. You know, when the people went and elected somebody who could exercise authority and fight their battles for them and provide for them by taking away from their neighbor, God said He's not, he's not going to hear their prayers in their day of calamity. He's not going to hear them. That, I don't care what you tell me you believe. Show me the fruits of what you believe. If you're not out there trying to practice pure religion, returning to your father's house, as the prodigal sons you all are, then God's not going to hear you. And when a loaf of bread is $100, don't come whining to me. I told you. What you need to do is form congregations of record. Form that network that was the early church. The union and discipline of the early church was admired and feared. Because these people were one for all and all for one. They cared about each other enough to come together. They didn't go to church to feel good. They went to church to do good. And they couldn't do enough. But God would run out and meet those people halfway and they would have the miracles you will not see. So anyway, everybody went into bondage in Egypt into a Corby system of statutory bondage. You can call it slavery, you can call it servitude, but forcing a man to work without full benefit of his labor, muzzling the ox so that another does not have to labor is still bondage and should be considered it either moral or social or political wrong by whatever party is out there, including all you individuals, whatever religion you are. In order to provide the housing for the homeless, some have deemed it wise to take from others by force to provide benefits for others. And they, they applaud this. They think this is great. But that's not what made America great. What made America great is that, you know, I, I remember a story of a, a, a widow who lived near a guy, a farmer. And as she got older, he would make sure she had enough food. He would walk over, he didn't drive over in those days, he'd walk all the way over to her place and bring food and check on her. And the older she got, she she wanted her independence, she wanted to live in that place, she went went there. We've told people, old people, that if it gets too much for them, we'll take them into our house. As if they were our own grandparents. We should be doing this as a church on a regular basis, not with tax dollars. You can't do it unless you people get together and start the flow of love till it hurts. The system that you have taking care of the needy of your society today is not charity. 
and your society will not benefit from the virtue of charity. It is force. Therefore, your society will benefit from force. In other words, you will be under the first tyrant that comes along. And you deserve to be. And God's not going to come to your aid. He said that over and over again. It is exactly what Christ told us not to do. What you are doing is enslaving one class of citizen to benefit another and going against the perfect law of liberty. Lincoln continued in that same speech that we talked about, the one that he made back in 1858 in Edwardsville, Illinois. We were talking about that in the last episode of uh, uh, Social Path. That, let's see, did I lose my place here? (laughs) This is our reliance is in the love of liberty which God hath planted in us. Our defense is in the spirit which prizes liberty as the heritage of all men in all lands, everywhere. Destroy that spirit and you have planted the seeds of despotism at your own doors. Familiarize yourself with the chains of bondage and you prepare your own limbs to wear them. This is what that Proverbs, one purse. You know, if sinners entice these, let's all come together and have one purse. Lurk privately for the blood of the innocent. Sounds terrible when you put it that way. But they run towards evil. This is what he's talking about. When you think it's okay to take away from one class of citizen to provide for another, you are familiarizing yourself with the chains of bondage. And they will be on you. The net is spread before the bird, but he's still caught just the same. That's what that proverb goes on to say. It's the same thing. They're talking to you in Proverbs. You're not getting it. Now, if you're getting it when I'm telling you, why aren't you forming congregations of record, contributing to them regularly, encouraging and rebuking your ministers to start providing for the needy of society and start bringing other generous, kind, loving people into a network with the union and discipline of the early church and not the foolishness and fracking of the modern church. Now, I haven't used that word fracking. It's usually in relationship to oil mining. What is fracking? <laughs> it's breaking you apart from the inside. You see, if you don't follow the ways of Christ, you will be destroyed. You'll be weakened. You will be ruptured spiritually, genetically, from the inside. But if you will follow in the ways of Christ, you will be a foe to the armies of Pharaoh. Just a spiritual presence that will scare the bejesus out of them. But modern Americans do not love liberty as much as they love license, especially when it guarantees that men who call themselves benefactors will have the power to exercise authority to force your neighbor to provide for what they want. That's what you're doing. Health care to public schools. Yeah, you can't have public schools and have a free nation. Absolutely diametrically opposed to a free nation. Well, what are we going to do then? 
homeschool. And if you form congregations, homeschooling can get easier and easier. You can't imagine the success of your society if you actually came together in real congregations in a network of congregations that of people who cared as much about you as they do themselves. Wow. Real Christians. Wouldn't you like to gather with those kind of guys? Americans do not even know what a free society looks like since it has been so long since they lived in one. To even suggest that they have a long time ago lost their freedom is unthinkable to most of them. The whole world the freest country in the world. Oh, it used to be, but you aren't anymore. It's rapidly changing. Rapidly, rapidly changing. And you won't see it because you've so conformed to its ways. It's going to be too late by the time most people wake up. But those of you who wake up, you've got something you can do. Start gathering together with others who are waking up. And yes, that process of gathering together will thin out your numbers. But it will also bring in more. It's like mining gold out of a mountain. You mine tons and tons of dirt. And you wash it and you shake it and you rattle it. And you tumble it. And you wash it some more. And you crush it. And then you wash it some more. And then you, the gold starts settling in the bottom of your sluice box. And you start seeing it. And then you gather it together in a jar and you say, wow. That's what we're looking for is the gold of society. And then it's going to be tried in fire. That's, that's the program. That's the plan. That's, that's what we've been told. You're not ready for that. And if you really care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, you're going to start that process, that mining process. I understand it would be preferable to imagine that you are still free, but that is not the truth. And you need to know the truth and the whole truth and prepare for it, just like Patrick Henry. But you don't live in the days of Patrick Henry. You live in another world. If any American did desire freedom... Few of them know what to do to obtain that liberty and fewer would do what it takes to obtain it even if you explained it to them. But again, we're looking for the gold. The gold will. But I believe amongst the people, and this is what I write here, the people of the world, there are all kinds of people that will see this. Now, there will be more when things get tight, but you need to start moving in this direction now. The first thing, though, we must admit is that we made the mistakes and the error with our own change and our own way of dealing with problems of society. So anyway, to give you a little bit better idea, and I tell you, join the Living Network. That's that's the key element. But go to us at org and join the network. Or go to us at the living network.org and you'll be taken to preparing you and join the network in your area. Pick a contact minister, what we call a PCM, a personal contact minister, or find a core near you. And the personal contact minister is to help you. We don't just put everybody's name there on the net. The personal contact ministers who are volunteers, you can even volunteer for that. And 
they can see the names who are in the local group. And they can collect their information, you know, where they are and all this kind of stuff so that we can join you up together and you can start forming congregations of record. You don't have to live next door to each other in order to start those congregations of record. We can call each other. We can talk on the phone. We can actually go and meet. The important thing is that you start canvassing your area to find that rare gold and silver and the precious metal that are out there in the mountain of people that have the ways of God already written on their hearts and their minds, but they need to practice it. And that's what you need to do. And there are many layers to all this. And we're not going to share all of them on the radio. We don't share all of them on the net. But we will share them with you in the Living Network. So anyway, we're going to start a series on The Higher Liberty, which is a book I wrote about Romans 13. And and Romans 13 is really so simple. It is just unbelievably simple. All it is is definition of words. If you change the definition of words, you won't understand what Paul's saying. Once you you put it in the context of the history, you put it in the context of the language, you actually look up the definitions of words. It's not a secret. You can find these. And, and I, you know, I started with a single article, and somebody quoted the article, and then a, a theologian at a seminary, you know, had a beef with uh, the guy who was quoting my article. He didn't say anything about me, but he didn't. He, you know, he brought up things like Koine Greek and all this stuff. Well, I took his article and ended up writing this whole darn book, showing you that all of his arguments just blew holes in him the 12-gauge approach because I could just show you it right in history, right in the facts, right in the books. It's got the footnotes. So anyway, on the cover of the book, it says the higher liberty, but it has a picture that was um, drawn originally by Julius somebody or other. I can't remember his last name. I think it starts with an S, but anyway, uh, famous artist. And they're all in public domain. And I didn't know what else to put on it. But it's a picture of, you know, supposedly the slaves in Egypt. they got little pyramids in the background. So you know it's in Egypt. And they show a woman throwing her child off of, uh, or somebody's throwing her, her child off of a precipice. Uh, and, of course, the one of the problems in the days of the bondage of Egypt is abortion, believe it or not. And they tell you that in the New Testament because they use the word prephos, describing that the children and then they talk about Moses being timely generated etc and if you go back to the things like Hippocratic Oath and all this kind of stuff they had what they call pessaries in those days to cause abortions and the reason they were causing abortions is in the the, the system of corvi and bondage that you were taxed by the number of people in your household if you had lots of children, you had to pay more tax. And that tax was often paid by, you know, if you weren't wealthy, that tax would be paid by, based on the number of months you would offer to work for the government. If you had lots of money, you could actually hire somebody else to do the work for you. But it was a burden on the family man. You know, it's kind of this one-child contract. They didn't want you to have children. They didn't mind you having daughters, or they didn't want you having sons. Because they were kind of afraid. The Israelites were a little bit organized even then as slaves. Uh, Corby. 
And we also, you know, we should be aware of this picture that was drawn for us on the big screen by Cecil B. DeMille's that all the Israelites were, you know, down in the mud pits. They they did every kind of job there was. It's a very sophisticated civilization. And they all the gold and silver was in the treasury, and so you had some sort of script and, that they used, which was mostly these clay scarabs that have survived, but they probably had papyrus script. But papyrus is a very soft medium and wouldn't hold up very much. They may have had other things. They talk about claws, you know, stitch claws and stuff that could be used, and clay tablets. But these little scarabs they used as money. And so if you if you left Egypt, you, you pretty much left broke because you didn't have access to any gold or silver and the, and the scarabs weren't of any value anywhere else. Foreign traders would come in and buy wheat and things from Egypt and they would deal in substance, commodity money. But uh, the average guy, uh, he didn't have that. And there's a huge debate about uh, who Moses was, and maybe we'll talk about that some other time. But to go on in this book, we talk about the adversaries of God has twisted words to deceive mankind from the very beginning of our dominion on this planet. For this for his own selfish purpose, the adversaries of God have attempted to alter the world we live in by altering our perspective of the ways of God and tempted us to depart from those ways of God. And those ways of God have actually been the same from the beginning, but the words we use to describe them can can confuse us if we alter the definition of those words. So anyway... We kind of have before us a, a kind of a Gordian knot, this, un, this tangled mess of misinformation. And how do we open it up? Well, this Romans 13, addressing Romans 13 in this book, is kind of cutting that Gordian knot. And the Gordian knot was, of course, the knot that Alexander the Great was supposed to untie to prove that he was qualified to lead the troops of Greece and he just pulled out his sword and cut it in two. And uh, and so they followed him. But uh, there's no end to what you could do if you actually understand the kingdom of God, the keys to the kingdom. We are to seek the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God, and have no other ruling judges, ruling gods, before the God of heaven and earth. We are to tend to the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, and faith. This is what Christ said. That was the weightier matters, law, justice, mercy, and faith. By way of the perfect law of liberty through faith, hope, and charity. That's, that's the key to liberty, to the perfect law of liberty. That's the key. You don't want to go that way? Can't help. If you want to go that way, we can help each other. And so anyway, there's lots of chapters in this. We broke all these chapters down into actually like one or two pages so that the ideas and thoughts that are represented in the book can be kind of chewed on. I didn't want long rambling pages. I could have made the book easily twice as big, but I wanted it short and brief so you get to the point. And the first chapter, of course, is Romans 13. What was Paul attempting to say in his epistle to the Romans. In 
The King James Version of the Bible, chapter 13, begins, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The power, powers that be are ordained of God. Now, of course, a lot of other translations say government, but what is this powers, this word powers? It's the same word over and over again. What is it? What does it mean? And this is the key. And it's really not hard to look this word up and how it was used at that time and what it meant. A common interpretation of this verse appears in the Living Bible. Obey the government. That's quite a bit different. For God is the one who has put it there. There is no government anywhere that God has not placed in power. So those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God and punishment will follow. Except that's not what it says at all and that's not what that word means at all. And that is this completely manufactured and it's one of the worst translations you can imagine. But they actually have that out there and that is based on preconceived notion. It's not based on the definition of the words and it doesn't even make any sense. If it was, if you had to turn in Jews in Germany, should you turn in Jews? If you were supposed to execute gypsies in Germany, if you were supposed to execute uh, the disabled in Germany, you know, do you have to do that? Because, I mean, you're telling me that God put that government there. Popot. Yeah, I actually had a guy in church tell me. Actually, my son. My son says, well, what about Popot? And he says, we have to obey him and march three million people out of Phnom Penh and had children shooting their parents by the order of Popot, the killing fields. Millions died. So that was okay. That's that's what God was wanted. No, you had to obey. You have to shoot your parents. No, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. And it it doesn't take that far to figure out that it's ridiculous. No, it means something entirely different than what we are being led to believe by these these liars in white collars. And we'll talk about that when we return to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, why is the church even talking about government? Because the church is a government. It's defined as a government in Black's Law Dictionary. One form of government. And, of course, the Bible is about government. Cain left the presence of God to create his own city-state. Right? I mean, Nimrod, that's, that was a government. Egypt, uh, Israel... Babylon, all all these things are governments. It's about your relationship with those governments. And this idea that you can blame all governments for everything, or blame God for all governments, is ridiculous. God told you to elect Saul was a rejection of him. Moses told you that if you elect a king, you know, you choose somebody who could exercise authority, that's all a king is that you were to put four or five things down in your constitution that he was to read or have read to him daily by your Levite ministers so that he would not violate these precepts. 
He wasn't to have a standing army. He wasn't to have, uh, you know, force the contributions of the people. He wasn't to do all the things that they're allowed to do. He wasn't to accumulate gold and silver. He wasn't to accumulate horses, which is just like a cavalry is what they're talking about. They don't care if he's a horse farmer. These are all metaphors. And if you fiddle with the words, and it's very easy to do in Hebrew, very easy to do in Hebrew, because the same word for reins of control is the same word for kidneys. So you can you can do all kinds of fiddling with the meanings with Hebrew. Greek is a little bit harder, but they do it because they'll take one word and they'll they'll translate it ten different ways, or they'll take four or five different Greek words and translate them all into the exact same English word whenever they want. So that can lead to an awful lot of confusion. But really, you don't need any of these things. It should be written on your heart. The Bible is just to bear witness to it. If you you don't have the Spirit of God, flesh and blood is not going to reveal this to you. Uh, The Spirit reveals it. Christ said He's going to build His church on Revelation. Not Revelation the book. Revelation in you. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because you know this not because flesh and blood has revealed it to you, but by my Father in heaven who has revealed it to you. That's it. That's what he's going to build his church. Upon that rock, that faith, I will build my church. So what's God telling you? Because if he's not telling you what I'm telling you, then I can't help you. Because of what I see, I see. While it's not right to sin, we have the right to choose to sin. We have the right to choose to sin. But when you choose sin, you're going to suffer the repercussions of it and you don't have any choice about that. God gave you choice. You can eat of the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your choice. But if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you don't have any choice anymore. You're going to die. You can go make any decision you want based on your knowledge of good and evil, but you're going to die. It's not going to work out for you. And you've been doing it right along. You can choose to do wrong. You have the right to choose to do wrong. But you don't have a right to choose to do wrong and escape consequences of what you chose. You don't have that right. And I don't care how big a government you create. They can't protect you from the repercussions of your choice to sin. You can't get away from it. It's built into the system. And that's why people form governments is to get away with sinning. To protect them. They, that, that's why they want health care. They, they, that's why they want all these other things. To protect them from the repercussions of sin. The consequences of sin. Governments are created by men. They're not created by God. God allows men the power, the right, or the liberty to create government. But when you do, it may be considered a rejection of God, as it was when you elected Saul, but not with impunity. You can do these things, but not with impunity. There are many forms of government that are in opposition to God and God's way. Man must go out of the presence of God, rejecting God, to create those kinds of government. And that's what Cain did. He went out and created a civil government. A city-state. 
These governments are formed in the image and the character of Satan, who is the adversary of God. Even those governments uh, may serve God's purpose, though, by punishing the wicked who form them. That's right. The governments of the world are there to punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? The people who created the governments of the world. Why did they create the governments of the world? Because they would not live according to the ways of God. If you lived according to the ways of God and you loved your neighbor as yourself and you helped out the poor and needy in your society, why would anybody sign up for a government that does the same thing by force? Why would you have to? Why would you want to give power to somebody to force your neighbor to help your neighbor when your neighbor was already helping your neighbor? You see, our minds were clouded. We had a strong delusion. We allowed this to happen because we'd already rejected God. There were many people around who said, Oh, no, don't go that way. Don't, no, this is terrible. But nobody listened to them. Very few. And now, 50, 60, 100 years later, nobody can even remember that somebody raised an objection. And we, we tell all about some of the object, objections that were raised in the book, but... God even forbid man from making covenants with those governments or bowing down or serving them. What are we talking about? Exodus 34.12 Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whether thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. Also, Exodus 23.32 and Exodus 34.15. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go a-whoring after their gods. Now, what are their gods? Ruling judges. The word there for gods is the word for ruling judges. Who's the ruling judges in your nation? Who's the ruling judges? You know, the Supreme Court, they're gods. They're ruling judges. They didn't make themselves God. Somebody appointed them. Somebody who was the apotheos. And we talk about this. Go go read God's many on the net. That's an office. That's a political office. Apotheos. Appointer of gods. Caesar was an appointer of gods. Augustus was. He actually requested the office. What did he do? What did he do as an appointer of God? He appointed the federal judges. This is just history. I'm not making this up. George Washington is the apotheos of the United States. He appointed the judges. They were ratified by Congress, but he appointed them. He was the apotheos of the United States. Apotheos. And they painted a picture of George Washington in the Capitol Dome. You know what it's called? Apotheos. Of Washington. You know what it says about it on the... U.S. government website that talks about the Capitol Dome, the painting. It says it raises Washington to the rank of God. That's right. Theos is the word God. Apotheos. Appointer of gods. That's all they're talking about in the Bible. You're not supposed to be making covenants with them or their gods. And bowing down and serving them. And do sacrifice unto those gods, their gods. And one called thee, and thou eat of that sacrifice. What would that be? How would you eat of that sacrifice? Go to public schools. Take health care. Welfare. 
unemployment. That's that's the eating of the sacrifices. Those are all provided by the sacrifices of those gods, those ruling judges that you're whoring after, that you're prostituting yourselves with and committing national adultery. Did you know that most of the time in the Bible when they talk about adultery, they're talking about national adultery? Where you whore after these gods, these ruling judges. Why do you do that? For the benefits. The benefits are great. That's what you've done. Now, you don't want to believe that. Well, we're going to go through the whole darn book. And we'll show you. That's that This is what's been going on from the time began. Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms, all the governments of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. I guess they own them. I had a Jehovah Witness come one time. Should I turn this into a parable? And they, because uh, <laughs> we're at the end of that, the first chapter. We already got through this first chapter. There's just lots of chapters. They're one-page chapters a lot of times. The next one is social contract. But anyway, I was talking to these Jehovah Witnesses, and they usually avoided our house like a plague. And and one time they they didn't realize I was home. And actually, I guess this was, I think, one of the first times where they, they must have put a black spot on my house or something because they stopped coming after this. But anyway, uh, they came, and you know, and I was very, you know, agree with that adversary. <laughs> So that's very good. You know, I, I like a lot of the things that Jehovah Witnesses do. I mean, they they won't do military service, you know, and you know, they, a lot of them have gone to jail for that, and you know, and they stood up for what they quote unquote believe. But I was commending them for that, and I, I can't actually remember how the conversation went, but I was I was manipulating them because I know what they they believe and. Uh, so anyway, uh, but I was always agreeing with them, and and I I pointed out I says because uh, you don't support these wars and stuff like that, and you don't want to go and kill your people in other countries and all this kind of stuff, and and I says I I commend that, but uh, you you still buy the bullets and the bombs that they're thrown on these other countries, even though you won't do the military service. You're still buying the equipment and the bullets and all this stuff. And they, of course, said, well, we have to pay our taxes. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. You have to pay your taxes. I mean, you've got an agreement to pay your taxes. And, and you, you owe the government. I and mean, you should give to Caesar what is Caesar. You know, you're right again. I'm agreeing with it. I says, but what if I could show you a way where you didn't have to buy so many bombs and bullets? I mean, you still, you know, support the roads and all those other things, but you wouldn't have to do the other. And not break the law. I said, would you be interested in that? And they, because we had already agreed that the government's all owned by Satan. And they said, yeah, yeah, we would do that. I says, give up your social security number. And oh man, all hell broke loose. <laughs> They said, we don't want to do that. We get lots of benefits. They said it right out. We get a lot of benefits with that number. 
And I said, oh, you don't mind working for Satan as long as the benefits are good. <laughs> well, they couldn't get out of there. They were running to the car. i never seen a Jehovah Witness run so fast. <laughs> I don't want to pick on the poor Jehovah Witness. The fact is, all you guys are doing this. You've all made your covenants with these gods and you have to bow down and serve them. And you do. You have to pay your tally of bricks. You've signed up with Egypt and the Pharaoh because you didn't have provisions for yourself or you didn't want to take the time to make them. You've all rejected God and you've elected Saul's and Caesar's of the world. And they rule over you and they take a bite out of you. And they take a bite out of you because all your neighbors are devouring little beasties. Hungry to take a bite out of you too. And they should. And I hope it hurts. Because then you might repent of your social contract. Now you can't just do away with it. That's what everybody wants. Oh, I just rescinded my contracts. You tell me where in business you can just cancel a contract. Tell me where in business when the person you've contracted with has incurred debt in providing those benefits, you can just cancel the contract and not pay the debt. Show me where that makes any sense in any legal system in the world. You're in bondage. You have to pay your tally of bricks. But there is a way out if you follow the ways of Moses and Christ. You haven't done that. That is revolutionary. To love thy neighbor as thyself. Nothing more revolutionary than that. And you start by forming congregations of record and start loving the people in that group and loving the people in the next group just as much. If you could start doing that, walking that path, you would be walking the ways of Christ. Then when you tell me you believe in Jesus, I might believe you because I see the fruits of Jesus in what you're doing. I don't see it now. So anyway, social contract. Chapter 2. Social contracts make use of at least two legal concepts of structures. One can be called a trust and the other is a corporation. Now the reason I go into this is so that you can understand what I just told you before. Governments cannot exist unless men create them. Man may vest something of himself into the forming of a government. As God formed man and breathed life into him, so also man, being made in the image of God, may form governments by breathing life into them, into their body, or into their body politic. Now, how did they do this? They formed trusts and corporations. All corporations... What is a corporation? Corporation is two or more people gathered together under a pre-existing authority as if they were one person for a particular purpose. That's a corporation. Well, that's a family too. You see, all government is based on the principle or concept of the family. Which is why Jesus called, said, Call no man father upon the earth, but my father who art in heaven. Because at that time, in that Roman crowd that he was speaking to, they all knew that the emperor was called Patronus, our father, who art in Rome. Hallowed be thy name. Thy benefits come when we apply to you. But if we apply to you, we go under your authority. 
just like we did in the days of Egypt. That's the way it works. Always worked that way. It's nothing new. You just don't want to admit that you've done it. Sorry. I'm bringing you glad tidings if you will receive the truth, but you will not call them glad tidings if you do not love the truth. <laughs> you will call them, you know, an evil bad thing that he is saying. <laughs> Because he's telling us that we're all slaves. Well, get used to disappointment. You are. And we may also give something of value to men we trust for a particular purpose whereby the government becomes a trust. That's the other aspect. You give contributions to the government. Contributions to the government and they're held in trust. What are the terms of that trust? Some of you have written up really bad terms. But anyway, if what we give is given entirely, it may be called a sacred purpose trust. Why sacred? Sacred means separate. You know, like in most churches, when they give money to the church, many of the men in the church can actually be on the board of directors and they can run around the other side and they can tell the church how to spend the money. Well, they didn't didn't really give it all away. They gave it to the church, but they were going to decide what to do with it. So, it isn't really sacred. It's only sacred if you give it up entirely. But, there's another kind of trust where you give somebody the right to decide how much you're going to give. Now, that's really stupid. You wouldn't think anybody would fall for that. I'm going to make an agreement with you that you get to decide how much money I'm going to give you every week. Sound like a good deal? But I'm not going to have the power to make you do what I want you to do for that money. You get to do it or not do it. That doesn't make any difference. You get to keep taking from me and you can actually increase the amount you take from me. That sounds like a good deal. No, duh. You are the dumb as a post if you would make that agreement, but that's the agreement almost everybody has made. They don't realize when they made that agreement. And the fact is, is this has been a long time in coming because your parents have sold you into bondage. But in the natural law, your parents can do that. You see, so you are stuck. But again, there is a way out. And it requires quantum physics to make it happen. <laughs> we'll get into that too. But right now, let's just understand that these two aspects of corpus, corpus, some something given into a body, and trust, something given. So these two elements, they're, they're kind of co-mingled because it all comes in together. So, the kind of government you have depends on when you give a contribution to it, are you simply giving that thing entirely where you no longer have any say-so over the thing, but you're never giving your right to decide to give tomorrow or the next day or the next day. You you can stop giving any time you want because that kind of government is a free government. Anything other than that is not a free government. Unless you want to talk about freedom as a matter of relativity. Well, it's more free than that government over there. So it must be free. No, it's not. See, the church is the kind of government where you give to the church and you give it 
freely and completely. You you burn it up. It's not yours anymore at all. What you gave, you gave away 100% to a minister. And he must go out and use it wisely. And you keep an eye on him. But when he wants something the next time, you don't have to give to him. Because the power of choice, the power of choice, the original power of choice, the higher power of choice remains with you. Because we're instructed to let every man remain subject to the higher power, the original power of choice. We're not to exercise authority over your choice. You see, that's a different kind of government than what you see out in the world. Because out in the world, you give them the power to choose. Now, when they gave the power to the Pharaoh to choose, he could choose what he wanted to do with the money, but he could only choose to take 20%, one-fifth. But that's not the deal most people are making. They say, well, we'll give you 1%, one and a quarter percent, but you can change it if you want. And then now it's over 14%, which is more than the the serfs had to pay to the Tsar of Russia <laughs> during the worst periods of time of Tsarist Russia. They never had to pay more than 10%. But today you pay 14% individually. He said, well, my employer, he pays a part of that. Well, he just takes it out of the money he would have paid you. He figures that in to your wages. I'm just giving you history so that you understand this in relationship to the Bible. You have to pay. You're in bondage. But if you will follow this concept of social contract, which we will start again, and we'll go over it again because it's really hard for you to get it into your head. But when you get it in there, then we'll show you the way to the kingdom. Because this system will fail. It's going to fail. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.